Hello everyone, welcome to Integrated Rhythm, two swing dancing besties navigating the world of race and the black experience in Afrocentric social dances. This here is part two of our holiday party. If you haven't heard part one, we highly recommend going in and checking it out first. Otherwise, enjoy. Integrated Rhythm with Jasomo and Bobby. Uh, yes. I'm actually going to bring it all the way back to the other question. Yes. This question, which was cross-cultural like discoveries. Oh, I completely. Here we are. I've been thinking about it because I'm like, what am I going to say next? All these people are talking. I'm just Go for it. Uh, <laughs> How dare you? Because <laughs> I knew I was going to lose it. So uh, I have or a couple of different things. Um, I'm always interested because I'm likes Stephanie, like the product of an international and interracial marriage. Um, and so my father is from Trinidad and Tobago, which is a like an interesting little island because like many of the, like a lot of the um, like Caribbean and South American places where when they're like, they were like, oh, well we can't enslave these people anymore. Well, what do we do with labor? Um, then they went to other, like, let's find people who are, like, we think are working hard and uh, let's try and make them some deals. So then there are a lot of people from uh, India were brought over um, to, to work the plantations, work the fields. But then they were like, we saw our deal and we're gonna peace out now. And then they brought people from China um, so we're like, you know, they work in rice paddies. Uh, they'll have great work, work ethic. We can use them. But then they came over and they're like, we did our deal. Thanks so much. Peace out. Um, and so there's this interesting mix of culture. So there's uh, like the, for people who don't know, they speak English, but it's, you know, it's Trinity English. And uh, there are a lot of foods that are Indian in base, but, uh, like West African in flavor. So like I, there are, there are a lot of um, like alu pie. Alu is, I don't know which uh, Indian language, but it is, it means potato. But so there's like a potato pie. There's, I mean, there's roti. There are a lot of things that to people who know about Trini or Island food, they're like, that means one thing to them, but then if you are Indian, it means something else. Um, so I've always found that, like, that blend of culture really fascinating in cuisine. But another thing uh, for me is when I was in college, I studied French for no other reason than my French professor my first year was like, you did very well in this class. And I was like, I'll major in it. Um, it was a what good has it done me? Aside from being like very snobby about the pronunciation of croissant. Uh, so I studied for like four months. Uh, I studied abroad in France, learned the, learned how to just be like humiliated on another level for being American. Cause it was during the Bush administration the French people were not a fan <laughs> and the other like and they had like Hogan Knows Best and the Cosby Show oh yeah <laughs> as the other references for like American life 
which neither were great, uh, you know, in retrospect, uh, but it was like, I'd go over there and I'd start speaking French and then be like, uh, you want to shoot speak in English? <laughs> You're America? Don't be too bad. <laughs> uh, and so, but like the feeling of being in a culture that was like very old and very, like they had established like what is French, even though it is also a country of immigrants and it's always changing. Um, but then after college, I spent four years teaching English in Japan. And the, like there's another extremely old culture that um, was only like, colonized really after World War II. Um, and so they have like the same immense sense of like pride in what is Japanese, even though like there are a, it's not an entirely homogenous country more so than many others. They can do that because they're an island nation, but uh, like that, that sense of like, what is Japanese culture? What do we take pride in as Japanese people? Um, like this food is Japanese, that food is Western. This style of dress is Japanese, that style is Western. And there are only two styles, <laughs> Japanese Western style. Uh, everything else has a country name. They're like, this is a, <laughs> but uh, I, I always, I found that really fascinating. I feel like that being in France actually prepared me for going to Japan um, for just like, a, being a foreigner, I think is important for everybody at some point in their life. You need to know what it's like to like be competent in your own culture and then have no idea what you're doing somewhere else. But uh, I also found it was, it was really nice to be in a place where I opened my mouth to speak Japanese and they'd be like, oh, look at you trying, oh my gosh, yay you. Oh, your pronunciation is terrible, but you're so cute. Um, so. You are really cute. I'm adorable. They always, my students would always tell me, uh, which basically means like, Miss Ryan, your face is funny. Um, Cause I was more expressive <laughs> there than I am here. Like I'm already an expressive person, but uh, when I had only my facial expressions and my body language to try and communicate when I, cause I never, I mean, I try to learn Japanese but there's only so much you can do in four years. And so my Japanese was always very broken. So like I'd have to fill in the blanks with my face. Your body language, <laughs> ha! <laughs> but uh, yeah, so I like <laughs> rubbery face made for expressing myself, but uh, not to mention that I was teaching children. So you know, there's that extra like bit of expressiveness, but uh, yeah, find as like a lot of the similarities of like what, what it means to be in an old culture because I, for one, don't have a sense of culture outside of my family. Because again, like being in a, a, not only a racially blended, but a nationally blended family, um, like who I am is largely defined just by the people in my, like on my mother and father's side, not so much by like, am I an American? Am I black? Am I 
like it's just about like this little this tiny sense of culture and then everything around me is like stuff that's been either adopted over time or rejected over time but being in places where like the sense of um like country and culture is so strong because there's such a longer documented history of it was really interesting to me I get what you're saying about that microcosm of culture because my sister, like, I mean, I grew up in Northeast Ohio in a predominantly white community. I ended up falling into a group of friends that are like, look like the model United Nations at this point. Cause I think hashtag immigrant kids tend to find each other because of those shared experiences. Right. Even, even if the details might change, a lot of us have gone through the same things, but my sisters and I would also talk about like where we fit in is the family. Like we are biracial, we are German, we have Canadian citizenship, we have American citizenship, we used to be Catholic and we, we like we, we used to be Lutheran, we, we transitioned to Catholic. Like we speak German in our house and we speak, I try to say American, but I'm fine with it. We speak American outside the door. And there's not a lot of places and people, right, that can reflect that. You did get me thinking um, about uh, intercultural things that we have noticed the same. Um, uh, <laughs> racism is fascinating um, because I, so I kind of laugh whenever I hear Europe's tell America, uh, Europeans tell Americans to shut up because they're not racist and they don't know what's going on. Um, just someone knows this is that I have a poli sci degree and I studied Western Europe and I can tell them a lot about their history and a lot about their current events and a lot about who their country is oppressing. <laughs> I'm like, let's have that conversation. But um, Germany still has its issues. Like I remember <clears throat> seven, eight years ago, that uh, there was a court battle that came out that police were allowed to racially profile people on the on certain borders of Germany, read southern borders, um, and use race to try to look for illegal immigrants. Um, I it's really funny when you're in Germany and you are brown, um, and people don't expect you to know the language to hear the shit that they talk about you, to open your mouth, and then put them in their place. Um, it's also really funny to go ahead and I get into fights when I cross uh, borders because like I was born in Germany. I don't carry, well, I don't have a German passport, um, but I speak the language. And so they're like, where's the passport? I'm like, you're looking at it. You're like, they believe I'm German. No one else believes I'm German. I was dating someone who loved me and he was like, well, here's the thing is that no one's ever going to think that you're German because you're brown. They might think that like you're British with a German parent though. And it's just really interesting when you hear things like that because you realize the global scope, I feel like, of anti-Blackness in part due to colonialism and imperialism. Wow. Yeah, that that is, I, I've shared that with Bobby before. I think just someone too, maybe. Like, that's one of my favorite things. Because I, I, I do speak French, uh, not very well anymore, but I, I understand it very well. Uh, and also a bit of Russian. And it's always always fun to be in those spaces and to overhear things that people are saying when they think you don't understand. 
and then when they need something in the midst of their interesting conversations, you offer help in their language and to wash, watch all the blood wash away from their faces. The shock and a guess. Oh no, but we didn't mean it. I'm like, yes, you did. You're just upset that you got caught. <laughs> like, and again, it's a, a yeah, it's. But you, uh, when you po when you as when y'all posed this question to begin with, the first thing that came up to me was one of the most poignant moments of my um, my grad school research uh, back in 2019, and that was when I was fortunate enough to be in Singapore, um, and got to work with uh, and meet uh, Danny Long through our great friend uh, Sing Lim, who is the queen of fashion and is adorable. Um, but to hear his personal accounts of being a darker person in how the experience was very similar uh, in terms of both colorism within the black community, but also of being a black person um, in America. And then his relationship juxtaposed to how the rest of the, the country viewed their shoulds and musts um, in relation to a colonized mindset. Everything was very much based on like, a British ideology, like the doctors were lawyers, this, that. All things that bring prestige and honor to the family, this kind of thing. And basically the subscription to ideals of, of whiteness. But then how he was using his music as a way to dismantle <laughs> this need to subscribe to this ideal. And one of the things that he hit me to was uh, an exhibit that was happening at that time at the National Portrait Gallery, Gallery for Singapore. And it was, um, oh, what was it? It was Artists and Empire. And I remember because it was, um, the title was one of the things that started me further dismantling the way words were presented to me. And the, the title of the, of the exhibit was in parentheses, encountering um, colonial uh, visual culture. And I was like, oh. And so it wasn't just encountering colonial visual culture, it was in countering colonial visual culture. So literally the process of people seeing imagery that they've been around for so long, like images of the Queen Victoria and like the way the architecture in the city looked that was meant to evoke the sense of pride in Britain and its presence there and all these things. And what most of the artists did were put uh, indigenous regalia or other um, island uh, like artifacts about these monuments and pieces to really like jolt people out of this sense of, of tunnel vision about how they should look at the world. And they were also at the same time being watched. So their process of encountering this countering of the visual colonized culture was just like, it was like a, a very inception kind of way of dismantling the ideals that they were subscribing to. It was powerful and amazing and completely overwhelming. And at the end of the exhibit, one of the most beautiful things that you had to do is you had to look into a mirror and draw an image of yourself, like redraw an image of yourself, not just through this colonized lens. That was the hope, was that you would come to look at yourself in this different way, which is, but it was just powerful to, to see like how similar the emotional side of experiencing that was, as well as the weaponizing of art in helping to dismantle, or as you know, Chisoma's read some of my work, to dismantle or remove these cultural cataracts that have overlaid because of all of the years of looking at the world through this colonized mindset. It's just it's amazing. 
you're making me think of a couple of things. Like when I think it was Laurel who mentioned the importance of being a foreigner. Um, there's social science theories and models out there because culture can very easily be invisible. It's like the air you breathe and it's in the fabric of your life. And if you are not aware how to look for it, it can be very hard to see and discern. And so there's social science research and theories and models talking about how it is often easier to view one's own culture after you have left and examined another to then come back. Um, you're also making me think of, uh, and forgive me because this is a while ago, this is probably like eight or nine years ago at this point, the details are really hazy for me, but there was this doctoral student somewhere who was an art and technology finally allowed us to catch up and she was doing x-rays on marble statues and statues all around um, Europe and the like and look and found out that there was paint pigment, that, that, that there was paint pigments and they were able to figure out what colors they were. And these paint pigments were of the widest away, array of skin tone. And if you think about history, it does make sense because Rome colonized, kidnapped and disseminated a lot of people. <laughs> of all different cultures. And that is still there in the, in the European fabric. Uh, but this woman literally got death threats because how dare she try to more or less take away white supremacy from the art world. When this poor, this poor girl is like, I'm just trying to get my doctorate. Like this is my dissertation. Please leave me, please leave me alone. It's fascinated. Yeah. And it's, it's a powerful, it's just a really, it's just a really powerful intersection. And um, I think as I shared with Chisoma uh, and Bobby before, it was, it was just really affirming about the pathway that I had found myself on. And it was just a mo another moment for me to receive just another, another level of, of invigoration in, in that work. Um, even if, and I know we all know this, like even in the midst of it, when everybody's like, this is incredible. You're like, what am I doing with my life? <laughs> it was just really so really it's really personal too like so I was talking to a friend um and I was talking about my like how that, that the way that we present these things is impactful like Chisomo Bobby and I have been on a journey um about letting people know that Balboa is not a white dance right and um poor poor Bobby because he went on his interview um, to go talk to Roy and I dropped a question in his ear. I'm like, I know this to be true, um, that there were original dancers of color, but I need you to go to, an, to a source and print it in black and white. Um, and it was so interesting because my teacher, Valerie, at one point she would just and I to go talk to Shawnee and then Chisomo and I came back and it was, I just tossed something for Valerie. And so it was like myself, Valerie, just someone hanging out after like, you know, teaching dance class for an evening. So you're exhausted. And I said, did you know that there were original Balboa dancers of color? And Valerie went, <laughs> who told you that? And I went, Shawnee. And she was like, fuck. Shawnee would know. Shawnee would literally know. If anyone in this scene knows, Shawnee would know. And it started, and so I started, like, I talked to Lewis, I talked to Bobby, I started dropping this bug in people's ear because, like, I needed it for my soul because people have also come up to me. I'm talking about, like, A-list level pro Lindy Hoppers, cream of the crop that are like, why the hell are you doing such a white dance? 
And I'm like, why are you attacking me and trying to tell me what I can and cannot do because of my skin? And then also how we present Lindy Hop, right? I mean, this is what I was talking with my friend this weekend where I was like, I take such issue with the revival and the fact that this is still not a narrative, right? Like the revival of Lindy Hop is not a thing. You cannot revive. I literally, it just, it, it, but like, it's, it's just, it upsets me. Like, I remember like that, that this event was going on. It was originally called like the revival of, of the revival and they were bringing in some dancers from Sweden. And I was like, Hey, this is problematic. This is problematic. And I had other dancers of color who were not black end up yelling at me and telling me to stop causing a ruckus. I'm like, no, but this shapes the way we think and talk about this dance even more personal because like my dad's a born and bred, bred New Yorker. Like I have come to find out there's a lot, there's a lot of Joneses and Franklins out there. I cannot date anyone who is pretty and brown in Brooklyn because they will be a cousin. I have 31 first cousins. And last time I was up there, I have 31 plus first cousins. I, we lost count at a funeral of one of our favorite aunts. And so I was like, this is ridiculous. Um, like I was uh, at my aunts um, and Auntie Vinny was there and she was like, hey, are you still doing that dance thing that you do? And I was like, yeah. And she was like, you know what? That is so crazy. Cause I remember being a girl and I remember my aunties and my uncles doing that thing. What is it called? Is it Lindy doing the, doing the, the Lindy hop. She said the Lindy hop, she, um, doing, doing, doing the Lindy hop in the living room. And it's so interesting because I hear this and I'm like, these are literally people that I am related to. This is directly in my bloodline. But if you listen to the way that a lot of people still tell the story that like, thank goodness for the white savior complex that they would come in and make sure that this was gifted to the world. But it's very much like, and that's, that's Bobby knows this too. Like that's, I learned it in my living room with my great grandmother when I was four. But again, just as, as you were alluding to before, it's, and I don't, I don't know why we seem to be the generation that's like, well, wait, this thing that we did when I was growing up, I love this. This was fun. Why can't I hold on to this? Like, say I have a natural you know ability for dance and movement why do I have to go learn ballet in order to actualize that what, what's wrong with this thing that we do oh that's not a thing that's just what we what we do yeah okay. not regarding our culture fully as culture <laughs> like it starts at home like if there was another panel that I was just on and one of the, the speakers she's like she was inside my head but you know, she said, like, the call is coming from inside the house. Like, the problem is here first. Like, <laughs> I mean, I think it's also hard, too, when you look at our families. And I've talked about, so, like, like, like my, my, my family's born, like, my family pretty much all is in Brooklyn. My dad was the rebel. He was like, I'm out! And pretty much everyone else was there. And they're talking about, like, back in the day when Brooklyn, you could be walking around for a month and only see, like, some melanated beauty going on. Um, but in part, like, I think that the African-American and black cultures tend to continue to innovate and move on an art form to the point where it's almost become a thread and indicative of what we do in part because of the need to, like people would like to hold on at times, but when you're constantly being pushed out, it's, it's hard to. And that's it. Like something that's really upsetting that like, I mean, I see that on the outside. internally you have these youth who are asking (laughs) who are asking and are being rebuffed as though what they're asking for is not something reasonable because the rest of the world isn't going to accept it it's like well how about you gird them to accept and support themselves instead of 
waiting on the rest of the world to support them. How about that? How about we teach it's, them self-reliant and not waiting? It's hard, right? Because I get both. I think it's one part protection very heavily, but like, it's also, can we please, can we, can we please do this? And it's also hard when I listen to my elders and my family and the shit that they have had to go through that why I have had to deal with things, I am lucky to not have to deal with things on that level. And I understand where it comes from and why. It doesn't make it any better. It makes it more heartbreaking, but I can see why they're in that survive and keep moving forward mode. So I think that I, first of all, appreciate the things that everyone has shared. Um, And also thank you for advertising a couple different episodes. Tasha, you advertised your own because we talked about you dancing in your living room, right? And Stephanie, you advertised an upcoming episode stay tuned for Shawnee. You're going to hear from Shawnee in a couple of weeks. Um, so you'll get to hear about her personal journey and um, her connection to the original Balboa dancers and the multicultural roots of Balboa. So you, you wet people at, people's appetites without even realizing it. Um, so thank you for, for both of those. Um, it's important for us to interrogate what we know, right? As Stephanie said, um, we culture is often invisible. We don't often understand the things that are influencing us. And so that's why we're having these conversations. So thank you all for contributing. Um, before we do our very last thing, because we're to, running out of time, or I, Bobby. So I, I, want, I, I want to piggyback my uh, cross-cultural moment on top of this, because I think it kind of plays a large role in everything that uh, especially Tasha and Stephanie have just been talking about. So uh, I grew up, um, uh, my dad had a huge record collection. My dad absolutely loved music, and I'm almost certain that's where I got it from. Uh, And I would slowly, his record collection would disappear and become my record collection, like one at a time over a series of years. Um, And so a lot of what he listened to, or a lot of the albums, he had albums from all sorts of things, but he especially had like classic rock like 1960s 70s 80s rock music and uh so after he passed on i inherited his record collection and i started adding to it and uh and have really gotten into blues and soul and country music i've I've really just kind of like american music i just have been loving so much and and getting more and more and more and more of and um it's one one of the really obvious cross-cultural moments for me was like when I would listen to like an Albert King album or a a Sun House album and hear classic rock before it was classic rock right like this is and and I was like wait that riff that's the Rolling Stones do that riff or like Led Zeppelin does that riff and then that's when you start to realize how much so much of those classic rock bands were like white guys who love blues and soul music and just tried to do it. And a lot of times they didn't do it near as good as the originators did. But that's, that was my bubble was the America, you know, was classic rock radio bubble that my, and my dad, he was also a victim of that same bubble. And, uh, and so, yeah, that, that's a place where a cross-cultural thing really happened, where I really kind of realized where these roads were meeting. I want to be Bobby. Bobby. <laughs> 
This podcast is never ending, Giselmo. Sorry, Giselmo. What? Okay, Giselmo, one more thing. No, I was just going to tap Michelle. That's all I wanted to do. I wanted to make sure that we got everybody. Okay, okay. It's all good. I I actually don't have anything else to say. One thing, and and I'll stop talking. Bobby, I need to send you, so like my my good friend, Danny, um, Lord bless her heart, she listens to a sounds podcast and she found this thing and she's like, I should send this to Stephanie after work because she needs to be productive today. I was like, oh, girl, thank you. Like, I appreciate that thought. Um, It is a gentleman who is an ethnomusicologist, which is a very fancy way of saying that his, like, like, and he got it from his father, is that his father just thought that it was important to preserve the sounds and the music of cultures coming, like, from around him. And so his father started to record all these sounds. And so this gentleman um, did it when his father, like continued to do it when his father passed away. And he would travel to all these different communities in the U.S. to record what their music sounds like. And then interestingly enough, he was, um, during the Red Scare, decided like that he was put on a list for communists. And so he left the United States, which it's interesting because he like didn't do anything as we now know. But, um, But he also did this, all throughout Europe and other parts of the world. Like, I mean, she, she's like, I was like, I was listening to a folk, like to a folk song from like Kurdistan and like the last, who knows how long. And so it's actually really, really cool. And I'm gonna send it your way. I think, I think you're gonna dig it. So I think mine's just gonna be a little different than everybody else's. It's gonna be, I don't know. So I grew up in an all black neighborhood with all black family. Um, like the only there are no <laughs> nobody in my family had white friends they only had crazy white people they talked about like at their job or something like that like no white people no white people at the school all school was like black and hispanic so my, white people were a myth to me up until like sixth grade a complete myth like when she moved to Arizona. Arizona and that was a complete shock because I was the only black kid in the whole school and that was like I was worshipped for being black, like in the same way that like, it's so weird in the same way that like, I thought white people were kind of a myth. And to go along with Bobby's story, I hadn't listened to any white artists before sixth grade. Like everything was black music in the house. It was like OJs, like. Except for Michael McDonald. No, Michael McDonald didn't come to oh, later. What? Yeah, it was like OJs, Luther Vandross, Anita Baker, like all these old school people, Billy Holiday, Ella Fitzgerald, like all this stuff. But like, I never heard any white music. So I moved to Arizona and I meet white people for the first time. I'm like, okay, these white people ain't so bad. Like, cause all the, also my family's really old. So all my, all my family's really old. So they like went through, uh, <laughs> They marching with folks. They've been through like their towns burned down, like They're stuff like that. Wary of caucasity. Yes. So like I was always told, don't befriend white people because they're gonna jack your stuff. So again, all this I'm going and meeting. <laughs> First time meeting white people, I'm like, they ain't so bad. Not like what parents told me about. So that. So to me, culturally, like this was all like only I can make up off of what my parents told me about. And I kind of take this back, I'm so sorry. I went to preschool with a bunch of white kids and they were awful, like racism. So it just reinforced what your parents were Exactly, so it reinforced like, what my parents yeah. told me. Then went to all black school, but still, all black household, all black, wear black. Black, black, on black, on black. blackity, blackity, black. Black. So <laughs> when I went to a white school, 
and all the all the white kids were like, "Ooh, black is cool. Like, we want to be your friend, and everybody wants to be your friend, right?" And then you start listening to music because you never, you didn't think <laughs> this goes out so stupid. You didn't think white people made music. <laughs> <laughs> what? what are they doing? They're they're making businesses. They're not making music. Okay, this is literally <laughs> what I'm thinking as a kid. And then when you hear people like Wumba and Sugar Ray and um, and all of this like 90s music. And I was like, okay, these kind of hit. Like it's different than like the R&B that I'm used to, but they hit and I really like it. Then you start getting- I get knocked down, I do, do get, get up, up again. again. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then you start- And you're listening. never gonna keep me <laughs> down? They ain't gonna get me, they ain't gonna keep me down. You start listening to the cardigans. You start listening to like all this like angsty music. And I was like, what if it's like that bad? <laughs> Except all the history you learn, it ain't that bad. So I feel like my cultural like thing was like the introduction of actual white people <laughs> into my life. <laughs> it sounds crazy. It sounds absolutely insane. Totally no, sense. not at all. No, it doesn't. Not but at all. Even with that still, which is really weird, I still always befriended either Hispanic or black people because that's like what I was used to. My best friend was Jonathan Garza. We were always thick as thieves. Like I had white friends, yes. Shout out to Jonathan Garza. Shout out to Jonathan Garza, my baby. Like <laughs> I also had white friends, but I just wasn't used to it. And then with your parents kind of always being like, just be careful, don't trust too much, don't do this, which I know later understand as to why. And it's not the best mindset, but like, I understand also why because of their history and like the stories they have told me. Yeah, getting that clash into white culture. And that was very interesting. <laughs> yeah. I, I I, I, so I had, uh, I taught a class of um, Pop Lock and Lindy Hop. And in that class, um, I had a majority of students of color, which is not typical for a predominantly white institution like my institution. And what we found out in uh, creating a safe space in our course is that we had students who were having the exact same experience. Some students coming from predominantly white um, cultures, communities and other students coming from predominantly black cultures and communities. And uh, Cleveland, Ohio is actually categorized as a hyper-segregated city. One and of so, the most segregated cities in the nation. So that we win that award, which is exciting, not at all. Um, but so you can be immersed in completely different cultures and then you meet people at school, right? And so it was interesting to see these students who were having the exact same experience in that the university was the most integrated place that they'd ever been before. So Michelle, what you're saying absolutely resonates, absolutely resonates, so. And I would think too, like if I hadn't gotten greeted with, I'd say like 95%, cause there was some racism. There was this one kid and we had a fight and he had to get out of the school or whatever. But like, and people were following around and I was about to, <laughs> I was about to throw them hands and like three people had to hold me back. Like, cause He's I was like, like, I'm from Grinchow, I'm gonna kill you. <laughs> but like- Try Jesus. I cause I'll throw hands. <laughs> okay, so here's the deal. I do throw hands, but I'm very like chill with it. 
and, and like it takes a long rev ups process until I get to that crazy point like crazy and I will run you over with my car but it takes a long time to that process <laughs> but like if I hadn't gotten that warm reception of like people wanting to be my friend and now I understand why but like even just the warmth of like oh what's your name how are you like trying to engage you because you fit a certain aesthetic or whatever, even though it's There's, wrong. As a like, kid, you're like, there is, this is there is something. some uh, there is like some authenticity in their desire to have a black friend. This is so true. like as when you're you know twelve, you're not you're not like hmm, what does this mean for what me? What about <laughs> systemic racism? Like you're just experiencing things as they come to you, so. right? And had I not had that warm reception, I might have still kept the same mindset as my grandfather, as my great-grandmother, as my mother, right? And it makes sense because these people are all over the age of like 70 and up. So it makes sense. And they lived to be hundreds until they died. So like they have all of this history that I'm learning as a kid and being like, okay, well, if I know these people are gonna burn something, I gotta be careful. Don't give too much away. Move in the night, don't move in the daytime so people know what you got. Like just, just crazy stuff that you're starting to realize, oh, that's survival stuff, not regular stuff. Yeah. I think that there's, there's something beautiful, I think about your story though, because like uh, all, all, all you guys know, I, uh, I'm a social scientist by heart and there's a lot of research about when you start to learn about race um and uh shocker little little brown and um and black kids learn about this nonsense early early on because they're othered very very early like I was talking to one of my um and like and I mean I mean we we and we we internalize this deep down like little kids can tell you who's the good one based on race or who's the smart one little kids around the age of five five or six in the western world all prefer white friends. It, it kind of normalizes when they're seven or eight, like on, like we're talking about majorities and on averages, averages and things. Um, and I was talking to uh, a friend several years back and about her journey and becoming aware of things. And I was like, welcome and I'm happy that you're here, but I don't know how to give you a cookie for coming to, for, for, for figuring out things now that most black and brown adults that I know had to figure out when they were children. I'm talking about like four or five, six, seven, if they are lucky. Like, and I mean, I learned to hate my hair really early on because people were mean about it. People were mean about the way it grew out of my head. Like not, no, no shout out to Holly Simmons. I have a feeling she's never gonna hear this, so it's fine. Um, but like, right. And, <laughs> and that, and that, and I think that there's something really beautiful that you grew up in that environment. And I feel like had more of a chance to love yourself before the world told you that you should hate yourself. Yeah. I mean, my life is complicated as a kid. It's like the, the white kids don't like you. Black kids kind of like you, but you're weird and you're not typically black. Like that, 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 that was interesting too. Cause again, as a kid, you're coming from a house of love, like some of the time, right? Some of the, time. the place I came from was like a place of home. You could do anything. You could be anything. You can, you can learn anything. Like all the women in my family make their own, they make their own furniture. They sew their own clothes. Like that's my family. The guys are chefs. They can make some four-star meals. All the women can't cook. 
that's my family, right? So like you come from a house of that where you can like karaoke, there's karaoke machine in the house where you can karaoke and music's being played and all this. And then you come and you're drawing all the time and there's drawings everywhere and art tools everywhere. And then you go to like, you go to a black school like that's what happened to me. I went to a black school and I had friends, but they were like, you're not, you're acting white because you're doing these subset of things that are deemed whiteness. And it's like, I don't even know a white person. So how? <laughs> Make it make sense. <laughs> My sisters and I had the joke, we're too black for the white kids and too white for the black kids. Exactly. Like, everyone's like, I don't know a bucket to push you in, but whatever you are, you're wrong. So. Yeah, exactly. Like while some things are reinforced to me, like my hair, like, not necessarily my skin because I was dark and there's also colorism in our school. Our school was hardcore. We had gangs and everything. So like, even though I wasn't okay with my skin, even though I was okay with my hair, but I wasn't okay with, like there's certain things I'm okay with and instilled with. So by the time someone come by and be like, oh, you're dumb. It's like, oh, I already worked on that. But there were other things where I wasn't cool with. <laughs> so yes, I had to do, I had to learn a lot of juggling and I think that's why I can get along with a lot of people, like knowing how you can bob and weave in conversations, depending on people's different comfort levels of like how homogenous their upbringing has been. And I, I just, it's, a, it's an intersection of learning to, well, from my perspective anyway, <laughs> Richmond, Virginia, capital of the Confederacy, yeah. <laughs> learning to bob and weave in conversation and it also literally learning to bother yeah, exactly it, it definitely is like code switching which i think is kind of corny but i also think is like for survival yeah like yeah it has to happen i used to think maybe i was a coward for being able to do it well but at the same time it's like this is how people survive this is how my family survived for like generations yeah. so i code switch less when i'm more comfortable so because like I mean, I work in cybersecurity. It's a white male dominated field. You better believe at work, I put my white voice on. I put my white voice, I'm college educated. I know how the English language, mainstream American works. Um, and it's only when I become more comfortable and I trust you that you're going to see more of the array mm -hmm. of my communication styles. Also for anyone who is listening, um, we have mentioned colorism on and off throughout this podcast. If you do not know, um, so I feel like everyone on here probably knows what racism is. Colorism is also a form of bigotry that, that you find. It goes back to that idea that the closer you are to whiteness, your more proximity to white is better. Um, there exists things like the brown paper test bag, uh, the brown paper bag test in the African -American, African American community where you take a brown paper bag and you put it next to your skin. And if you're lighter than that, you're considered pretty. If you're darker than that, then you're not. And it's a lot of bullshit that um, exists in life and in the sweet dancing community. I have seen people treat people that I love, um, including on this podcast and the other people that I'm talking to, uh, worse, I'm pretty sure, because they are darker. And you better believe I take note about who I want to and not want to be friends with. Um, but I want to go ahead and drop that definition out if you are um, in your part of the journey of your own education in diversity, equity, inclusion, justice, and you have just not heard of this term. Thank you. And that might be a good place for us to transition. Um, I 
I think we wanted to end. Uh, it's a it's a hard turn. First, I want to say before I make this hard left, I hear you as um, a child that went back and forth between Zambia and the United States. I never made sense to anybody. I was always on the wrong side of the ocean. I was always in the wrong space, um, even amongst my friends. You know, I'm odd. I don't make sense within my family. So I, I hear you, um, Michelle. And I think that that's something that uh, we all kind of share. You were talking about your story being complex, Michelle. I, I, I think it's really important for us to remember complexity as we meet individuals, because even if someone is um, like white, there's so many complexities associated with that, right, Bobby? <laughs> Bobby smiled as I said that. Um, if somebody is black, if somebody is from various corners of the world, it's we we tend to be reductionist as we think about other people, um, and that leads us to stereotypes. And so, the wonderful thing about these kinds of conversations is it helps us see um, the beauty and the difference uh, among all of us. So. And I would say that reductionist and shortcuts are not your fault. It is the way your brain is wired. Our brain looks to make sense of the world. And we use these, they're called heuristics. We use these mental shortcuts. It is your responsibility though, to make sure it is not your last thought. That's right, everybody. That's right. <laughs> Just tuning in. <laughs> Bam, baby. <laughs> yes. Yeah. All right. Bobby, should we, how, um, what would you like us to do? Yeah, let's do that. Uh, let's do uh, one final question. What are you grateful for in 2020? We know that there's a lot of things that we're probably not grateful for in 2020, but what are some things that you maybe are grateful for in 2020? Grateful for my roommate. Aww. I think I, I'm grateful for the fact that both of us have stayed working we've also had we also been sounding boards to like okay what's the plan if we both lose our job what's the plan if I lose my job what's the plan if you lose your job like coming up with plans like supporting each other on how like COVID-19 would work if we got it in the house and I did and Laurel did get it so we had a COVID and Michelle didn't I didn't we had a so COVID plan worked we had a COVID-19 plan in place. If we lost a job, if we caught it, like what the measures are for like going out. Uh, also like our like protesting and donating to different various organizations. I just think that this year, although trying, I was very grateful for like the support in the house and that we were on the same page. Like we talked about things and we made sure that we were like, yo, today sucks, man. Cause being black in America sucks right now, but do you want to watch this terrible love story? <laughs> yes. <laughs> so I'm grateful for that. I'm grateful that she, Laurel, was willing to talk out my anxiety and come up with a plan to like ease my anxiety about what would happen if. Yeah. And so not to just say same, uh, because I think like for both of us as previously single, <laughs> oh, Michelle's yeah. status has changed, but like for the majority of our, our uh, roommateship, we've both been like single ladies. Um, 
and <laughs> did not plan that at all. So we, I think like learning how to communicate, learning how to live with somebody and how to communicate with somebody about like, uh, who is more than a roommate, who yeah. is your friend, your yeah. actual family support friend. Yeah. Uh, so I think that's been, you know, valuable for the both of us, mm-hmm. but I will say another thing about 2020 that I've been grateful for, uh, and it's going to bother me that I ended a sentence with a preposition at, but I like developing friendships with the people who I knew and liked through swing dancing. Um, and I mean, a lot of the people here because like I saw you all at events, but beyond that, I don't think we communicated all that much. And so when we were like forced to figure out where our community was, cause I know for a lot of us, I think swing dancing is about the community of people as much as it is, as it is about the dance. Mm-hmm. Um, and so finding like that, that connection, whether it was, you know, Facebook groups or text chains or like just, you know, stalking each other on Instagram and staying in those DMs. Um, I think figuring out where uh, I belonged within the swing dance community, this year is where it showed me who within that community were like the people who I love seeing at events and who are the people who are with me throughout. Mm. So um, accurate. So I think that was like, like, who do you want to stay connected to beyond just we like being around each other at this, like in this very, mic- in this microcosm of society at this one weekend a year or a month or whatever. So that's- Laura Michelle, I think that's just someone I've known about y'all bitches for years. Who are like, who are those super cute black girls that are like us, but in Lenny Hop, ha! But <laughs> like, we- <laughs> But um, but we've talked more. We we talked to you more this year than we have in like the past five, and it has been yeah. exactly. such a blessing. Yeah, because I remember like mm-hmm. I re- I can remember meeting every single one of you and mm-hmm. just being like they're too cool for me. And uh, <laughs> excuse you. Like, I, I know. I feel like every girl does that though. It, like they'll see somebody and they'll be like, they want to be my friend. And I don't. They think I'm cool. And you're like, hey, yeah, I play with Play Doh. Like. Trying to give out like the cool facts, so they're like, "Oh, she's cool." I think we all think that at some point. I feel like that's a little play. I'm so happy I, when you I'm guys sh- were okay adopting me. I was like, <laughs> <laughs> but I like, and I can also remember the moment when I felt like, "Oh, these are like these are cool people. Like these are my people. Mm-hmm. You're my kind of weird." Mm-hmm. Um, like not only do I admire and respect your accomplishments within this community, but I also feel like I can be myself around you. And so that is, um, but still like that, that like little kid in me, who's just like, I don't know how to be friends with these cool people who I really respect. Um, Cause I'm just a nobody. Like that feeling of like wanting to belong. Um, and then finding through this year when I like we had to make our own connections beyond them being made for us it wasn't Mm -hmm. like you got thrown together in 
Like you get to know each other because you're teaching at the same event or like you have to share MC duties or you're in a class together. Yeah. Or you're like, Oh, look, another, another person of color across the dance floor. Let's at least stand next to each other and be like, "Mm -hmm." Uh, (laughs) Mm mm-hmm. Clarinet player. Fine. Oh, wait, you the marimba, the player. marimba player, whoever he is out there, you are fine and thank you the Lord you that are. you were made. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> no double day. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, <laughs> thank you for giving us a visual treat. Uh, but that that like deliberates like the deliberate community um, that I found throughout this year that has been like when I think a lot of us have been really grieving both like livelihood, uh, just outlet, community, all the things that being part of the dance community means to us. Um, like that's a thing that I've, I've really just been like, oh yes, this is, this is why I'm a part of this. It's because of the people who are uh, a part of it. So that's what I'm grateful for. Next. Hey, man. You're like, literally, literally the coolest. That was beautiful. You're literally the coolest literally the coolest all of you yeah (laughs) you are okay i'll go um uh so first most of the time uh, i know bobby and chisomo know and stephanie came to know this quite well over thanksgiving um five-year-old tasha runs the show just saying and it's been really nice to have more time for her to do her thing like right now I've been trying to stay focused but it's snowing like a motherfucker outside and like it's piling up on my little air conditioner and I'm like watching it grow and every soft and I'm like holy shit it's so much snow outside so now I'm I'm focused I'm back uh, <laughs> um surprisingly not so much to a few people but uh really grateful that this time has given introvert Tasha some space Whereas I'm normally connected and communicative with everybody all the time, partially because it's a part of my job and then partially because I see so many people who affect me and like, inspire me and I just want to spend time with them when we're at things, um, to be able to not have to do that. <laughs> not that I don't want to, but to be able to just kind of reserve some energy and some space for myself and my own thoughts has been really amazing um alongside that it's been really wonderful to receive the support of so many people um especially through the surgery and um a lot of other things that transpired this year so it was really really wonderful to have that same reflection that you know michelle and laurel were talking about of the people who actually want to be there for you, not just those that you would like to engage with. Because I, I know there's been times I've reached out to Michelle and talked for like four hours and then it's like, yay! And then maybe I'll call her in another two months. <laughs> it's great. And it's great. Accurate. In the process of which Laurel will walk in and then Laurel will become a part of the conversation. <laughs> also accurate. <laughs> but it's, it's just been, it's been really, really amazing, really wonderful to, to really, to really see clearly, like to see as clearly as, as we think, especially for those of us who 
have to, or have the honor to move in some academic spaces. You know, we, we make a habit and a practice of trying to think as clearly as possible, especially when we're communicating theories to other people. But, but to be able to also have that manifest around you like a, a real clear vision, it's, um, it's been really, been really grateful for that. And really grateful to identify my what the fuck phone calls. Like the people that I don't actually have to explain shit to, I can just text WTF and like, that's it. <laughs> they can call me and we talk through whatever, whatever perspective I might be sitting in that day. And that's, so it, it's just been, um, I'm really grateful that all of those facets of myself have been able to, to breathe a little bit more easily this year, honestly. And also grateful to be able to pivot um, in the way that I have to so many different things. So. I just had a side note. Y'all remember when a lot of people were uh, DMing all the blacks? <laughs> <laughs> you mean when they were asking for us to absolve them of their racism? And I'm like, I'm here for you, but I can't do that. Like, I can't, I can't. <laughs> to Latasha when they started doing that y'all I just when you were talking I was all like yeah man that's awesome like I can see what like I'm like yeah I'm grateful for that too and I was like oh man we had that one month with all the whites were emailing all the blacks and then all the blacks got together and was like y'all got these white people emailing you and giving you money and stuff and I need lunch I just remember the like I have I think some lunches I was like yeah those lunches were nice <laughs> Michelle, that's the thing that I don't think that people understand so like not all the black kids know each other but a lot of the black kids do and sometimes we just talk we just talk because it makes you feel less crazy you're like are you seeing are you seeing this shit okay cool 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 <laughs> and I, I i remember that because i just i saw it coming i won't i won't lie that was when my clairvoyance kicked in it's I no shade i was it's like all right, so, yeah, oh no and I thought okay it's fine I'm gonna step away it'll be great no because then Michelle was missed did you talk to uh <laughs> to someone did you talk to and I was like oh and then Tina was like hey Latasha is I was like oh no what is okay all right Whew. I will say that there are also like genuine friends who reached out with concern that I love and appreciate like it's the performative allyship that gets me I'm like we don't talk like why are you like why are you messaging me but yeah. um the good friends I actually still need to reach out to some fucking like Aiden Aiden if you're listening to this I love you I'm just bad at texting that's the ADHD it's not because I hate you like um like good friends that, re that, that reached out and checked in because a lot of shit went down this year like I in February, when Ahmad was gunned down, when he was running and I run and I live in a mostly white community and the world didn't care. Like I found out when it happened and the world caught on like six to eight weeks later. Mm -hmm. But Chisomo knows I got into such a dark place where I was like, what, what is the point? What is literally the point? And, um, and the people that like reached out that I love and appreciate, I, I really do really did feel the um feel, feel the genuine care and concern coming from you mm -hmm. yeah I um 
love the shout outs, by the way. Aiden and then Michelle, who's your friend that we shouted out earlier. Uh, oh, who was it? Dang. Oh, shout, Jonathan Geyser. That's a shout out to him. He was yes. a fabulous person. He's a fa- he's still a fabulous person. Yeah, I love it. But um, but yeah, there's I so for people who may not know this, when all of the tragedy tragedy struck this year, um, it's specific to the swing scene, but I know this happened outside of the swing scene because uh, lots of people were talking to me. Lots of people were talking to all of us. Um, we were all kind of talking to many people, educating, loving, but then also dealing with this issue of absolution. So um, in the swing scene, there were a lot of people who reached out to the Black community members. Um, And so to our friends who are not of color, it's okay to ask your Black friends some things. It's also really great to read some books, and we will love you. So let's read some books together and hang out. Going back to calling in, we are like saying, let's talk about some uncomfortable things. Yeah. Um, I want to give a shout out to you and Bobby, though, because so like Jusemo's here, Bobby's here, because like when we did um, our podcast episode, I was dealing with so many emotions and so many personal things that have to deal with racism like the world events, things in my work. And I did not have the emotional bandwidth to get into it on air with people that I love, but with the swing community. And you two gave me the space to exist as a whole person and not exist in my oppression and trauma. And like, dear fucking Lord, I love you for that. Because if you had pushed, like, if you had pushed, I would have been willing to go there for you because I love you both so dearly. But like, I also would have potentially broken myself in the process. Yeah, I've been in a lot of conversations about tokenism versus representation. And while we need to have these conversations, while we need to broach these things, it shouldn't be at the expense of people who've been systemically and systematically oppressed. So we have stories to tell. It should be our option when we should tell them. And so um, I know that there are a lot of instructors who are trying to figure out how to include minoritized perspectives in their education. And so they're like, well, I'll just have the students share, but it, but it's not the instructors. It's not their choice. It, it is a choice of the person. And so um, Stephanie, we would never want to sit in that place of trauma. There are time, those of us who have experienced trauma, trauma and like, I'm about to disclose something. Um, I have a trauma brain and we can talk about that later. But um, what, what that means is that there are times when you can deal with certain things and talk about them. And then there are times when it's just going to literally crumble you and crumble you for a period of time. So, but everybody loves NAF. So, and we need to talk about other aspects of black people outside of just the color of our skin and 12 years of slave, right? Yeah. It um, is a good movie, <laughs> just brace yourself. <laughs> <laughs> also, no. something that just someone and I talk about too is um, when a system demands your oppression, when it demands you be less than, when it demands, um, the, dehumanization, the, the, the dehumanization of yourself. Um, there is something in being a full person and in joy, which is an act of resistance itself. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So 
coming back to some black joy or some joy just in general because we all all of us yes joy um a thing that speaking of ir thing that i have appreciated oh joy um you can't if you're listening you can't see but tasha has literally the word joy on uh, over top of a wreath in her abode. Also, her entire. Oh, you're just excited about Laurel's dance. I was like, uh, uh, yes. uh, uh. Laurel, Michelle, coordinate, and they're amazing. Yeah. We're doing a little sister act too. Joyful, joyful. <laughs> joyful, joyful. Me and Dorothy. What have you done for him lately? Yes, love it. Um, yes. Come and join the chorus. Okay, bringing so it back. I, uh, um, <laughs> when so, I was... When I was um, researching the uh, the question, you know, the the individual questions for today, I was doing a little bit of Facebook stalking, going through the photos to see like what kind of things people did, to, so I could ask him a question about it. And I noticed on both Michelle and Laurels, there's picture, 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 Sister Act Two, picture, 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 yes. Sister Act Two, like just a picture of the DVD. Yes, <laughs> that's amazing. Sister Act and Sister Act 2 have a very strong presence in this household. Mm -hmm. We'll put it on the speaker sometimes. Yep. Sometimes we'll just bust in someone's room. Oh, yeah. like, how that is we have God ordained movie collection. <laughs> Somo. Come on, just I will it. never not cry be moved to tears when I hear either uh Hail Holy Queen from Sister Act one original the original. original flavor and joyful joyful from sister, sister act two, two. Uh, that's because they're just so they're just they're just and the, and the mom yeah. the mom being like you're gonna only do math and science and then she shows up and then realizes her daughter's talent like spoiler alert but like <laughs> <laughs> like respectability politics getting weaved into sister act two back in the habit oh yeah. You know, if you dream of being an ice capade and every morning you wake up and you think about being in the ice capades, the girl, you, you're born to be, born to be ice Preach. Preach. You dream of being a singer and every morning you wake up and you think about singing, girl. I love Whoopi Goldberg. Oh, everything she does, she, she's amazing. I love Whoopi Goldberg. I, yes. <laughs> it is uh, sister act okay so i'm just grateful for that moment actually here we go um i'm grateful for integrated rhythm and this opportunity to elevate voices like all of yours you all are amazing and so listening to everybody's stories um thinking about this podcast um i i think i honestly was just so like there's a lot of things to be like sad about or whatever today but today i was excited because of getting to hang out with all of you and listen to you and connect with you and talk about christmas and the holidays and all the holidays it's so awesome so thank you and then also thank uh, bobby you are incredible and People don't know this, but Bobby works so, 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 so hard on this thing. He is an editing magician. He also plays the drums for this. Um, and then let's talk about the music, Laurel Michelle, being all cool with your bad selves. You are, it's amazing. So I'm just, I'm lucky, I'm very lucky to know such talented and beautiful people. Also, that is probably a third of the conversation that Bobby and I have about integrated rhythm. He's like, damn, we've got some really attractive friends. 
Listen, <laughs> black don't crack. Mel- melanated magic. Like, yeah, is she is she fifteen thirty or a hundred? What's going on? We don't know. <laughs> we don't know. We don't know. That should be a T-shirt. Is she fifteen thirty or a hundred? And then like how yes. boxes checked off. That could be part of your merch, <laughs> right? Yes. I, but for real, people get really confused and my even my colleagues oftentimes think I'm a student and I'm like, I'm actually not that. And, okay. Yeah, no. I, I, my so, boss I, that hired me thought I was 23 and I was like, you so, saw my resume. I would have been, I, like, I would have been a very, very busy teenager, but okay. <laughs> so uh, quick question. How does, how do you broach that topic in relationships or do you like, let's say you're in a new relationship and you're like, I don't quite know how old this person is that I seem to get along really well with. Do you broach it? Is that a thing? I don't know. Just be normal about it. Don't be like, okay, so I'm gonna go and set a trap for her. So <laughs> you know, uh, this song by Luther. Do you know this song by Too Short? Do you know this song by Lady Gaga? Like, just ask. <laughs> like, it's Lil Kim's jump off on your playlist because they date that. And the song, it's, it's where I also learned that you should never put the year in a song because, oh my gosh, I love that. Like, ladies, if you ever want to do like, so I, so just someone knows, I want to do a bow routine to like Lil' Kim and Missy Elliott because that shit's yeah. going to be fun. I learn now for that. Missy Elliott is a big one in our household as well. Oh, that's because she's so, because she's so good. Yeah. Um, Bobby, I just say, I just tell people that like, you're welcome for my presence in your life whatever well I am uh I'm at a stage now where I I defiantly announce my age most of the time just because people are confused (laughs) they're either confused performance wise and that's also fun. Like usually my, my favorite comment that I do miss from this past year is when people come up to me after it's like, oh my God, you dance so much bigger. <laughs> like, like, yes, I am barely five How feet. are you this small? <laughs> and I love it. And then of course- You're just really dense with a lot of talent and energy. You're just like very compacted. <laughs> and when I move, it just radiates forth. I'm fine with that. But it's, uh, yeah, when people find out that I'm 40, they're like, what are you talking about? But how? It's like, well, actually, I'm five. But, you know, also. Tasha, just think on the 21st. Think of the power of growing and getting smaller and just put that in your mind so you can get it. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, but real talk, I actually count down to the 21st every year things that i am grateful of is the longest night of the year because it means that we are that much closer to some motherfucking sunlight and homegirl here is solar powered like it gets dark i get sad and i don't realize i'm just like why is everything horrible in life and then the sun comes back and i'm like oh i'm so much better now um, and I realized this at some point, and so I, I literally count down to December 21st, starting, like, I mean, I've, I've done this for, like, for the past, I think, 12 or 13 years. And that's what I'm grateful for. I'm grateful that we're around the corner. I, I'm really excited for Saturn and Jupiter 
um, to go ahead and meet because I really, really, uh, I follow astrological events because I think that they're fascinating. Um, we watch the cosmos in this house, both the old and the new series. Oh, did you, did you see that they found like a super highway in space that will get you to travel faster in certain areas, like an actual highway? No, but yeah. you should send it to me. Listen, um, I'll send you the article, but I was like, Ooh, we about to, we about to go in space on a space. <laughs> to be the <laughs> One of the things that I am grateful for this year, um, is Keith because he's an absolute gem um our conversations because I have been housebound for nine months um I'm grateful for my job I switched jobs during the pandemic I'm luckily in a career that um has very little unemployment and that has continued and so that's really great but like I mean we you want to talk about arguments uh we we got into a fight about Einstein's theory of relativity (laughs) And the fact that I was demanding for him to explain to me what gravity is so I could understand the rest of the physics that we were talking about at play. And eventually, as we came to find out, because we just walked away from each other, walked away, because it was that furious, that I was asking him to explain questions that the best and the brightest in theoretical physics, physics do still not yet know. Because, um, because that's, I guess, what happens in, in uh, on St. Alban Street. But um, I'm grateful for him. I'm grateful for you all going back to what you said about this community. It has really done a lot to help keep me sane, um, particularly because we are also bright people off the dance floor. And so when collective trauma happens, it's nice to have people to talk to you about this because I still live in just very white suburban areas. Um, it's helpful to have those people who understand and who um, also can grieve with you. And I also want to give a, a shout out to um, to Somo because you are a beautiful person and you're one of my closest friends and um, are a lifeline both during and not during these crazy times. So I just want to say thank you and I love you. The love rest you. of you are okay, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> Love you very oh, I much. love you all. Yeah, love you. All right, I guess I'm the last one to go. Uh, I am so grateful for uh, like Tasha getting the time to take a, a break or take a breather for a little bit of time. We both she and I uh, tend to go 100 miles per hour and COVID made us kind of stop and allowed us time to <laughs> realized what it meant to stop, which was fantastic. And I'm, of course, so lucky to have an incredible wife to spend the time with and get a lot closer to because uh, the life of a traveling dance instructor means you see your loved ones, you know, usually like a few days in the middle of the week. Um, and you tend to miss certain things like fall. Uh, or, you know, like I would catch fall in like a little two-day burst. And usually I was really tired from traveling and about to get back on another plane. Whereas this year I got to experience the full of fall. Uh, we're very lucky to be right next to a park. And so we'd go out to the park all the time and see, and I was amazed at how much fall there is. I don't remember <laughs> seeing this much fall in quite a while and it was lovely. Uh, and then finally, just to chime in with everyone else, uh, it's been so grateful to get to meet incredible people like the ones all right here. And so I'm very, very grateful for that. 
one last shout out. I want to give a shout out to um to Joe freaking Huffberg with the work that she's doing with the European scene and then just also like broadening her understanding because in some ways, um, Joe, if you're listening, your own journey and your willingness to decenter and listen has given me hope in the swing scene because a lot of us care deeply about this thing. And when um, issues of bigotry and oppression come up, it's easy to feel if you are in the majority population that you are being attacked and being able to put one's ego and oneself aside to understand and listen to make this not only a more fair and just and equitable environment, but also better for all of us because when we are bringing all of these ideas and these passions instead of deciding who and who cannot be and artificially gatekeeping that we all thrive. And so like major shout out to that woman because she's also doing an ass ton of work and I see it and I love it as much as I love you all. All right, so I think we have a special treat to wrap it all up. We have a reluctant treat to wrap it all up, an unprepared, reluctant, not very excited, pressured treat to give everybody. I have to set this up because I don't understand time zones. Uh, Time means nothing to me. And I was like, oh, I'm going to have time to get home from work. And then Michelle and I are going to practice a little bit and do like live music for you all. And that did not happen because this started when I was closing up the gallery. And then, and I also did not talk to Michelle. I had a conversation in my head without her. And in my head, I had already convinced her that this was a good idea. So uh, she is, she is indulging me. And the true like distillation of our dynamic when I'm like, let's do this. And she's like, I don't know, we're not prepared. And I'm like, who cares? Uh, so this is going to be an improvised theme. Uh, I'm going to ask Michelle, I, I'm going to play some chords. Michelle's going to improvise and I'm going to harmonize if I can. We'll see. Uh, we, we promise nothing at all. You ready for this? <laughs> the answer is no, but we're going to do so it anyway. <laughs> we're not doing, we're not doing that. That's not our own. That's not our song. No. Okay. 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 With Chisomo and Bobby. Bobby. <laughs> yeah. We do bar mitzvahs. We do your swing. We will not rehearse. We are cheap. <laughs> Purchase us. <laughs> <laughs>